Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, good morning everyone. It's Tuesday, June 30th. On the show with us today, Marion Newsom. She's an IT security professional based in the lovely Austin, Texas. How are you doing, Marion? I'm fine. How about you? I'm doing great. Tyler, how about you? I'm having a lovely morning. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Marion is here by request, and we love getting <laughs> requests. So if y'all are listening and thinking, hey, this person should join the show, let us know. Give us a shout out. We are always interested in meeting new people and hearing thoughts around the world. Uh, Marion was specifically requested by Gina Rosenthal. Uh, she's a listener and a former guest on the show as well. And Gina, if you're listening to this episode, which I know you are, uh, we'd love to have you back on the show too. So, but today's topics, we'll be talking about racism. We'll be talking about being a woman in technology, and we'll be talking about neurodiversity. And likely we'll get into some other things. Uh, who knows? We always touch on some random topics, but Marion, it's really nice to have you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Very yeah, good. Thrilled to have you here. So uh, we started talking last week just to just to get to know each other, and you were getting into your fascinating background, <laughs> and I'd like to pick up the conversation there. I don't know how far back you want to go, but if you can just give us a little bit of uh, you know kind of where you grew up and how you grew up and how you got into tech and your observations through all that. I'd love to start there. Oh, sure. So I, don't, I won't go back all the way back because I'm a woman <laughs> of a particular age, but I'm actually, I actually grew up in a military family. And so as a black female, I was discriminated against or had people had bias against me because I was black, because I was female, and because we were stationed in different parts of the world, even because I was American. Um, I later took in my professional life, I actually worked as an immigration officer and was had discrimination against me because I wasn't a native Spanish speaker. And so if it's a bias, so if it's someone has a bias, it's usually it's a learned behavior is what I truly do believe. I think when children are born, um, they don't know the difference between black and white. No one is colorblind. So as soon as you recognize that difference, someone has to define when a child says, why is she dark or why am I white? And I think the way parents define that then sets that foundation going forward. And it's based on your values of what you've learned uh, and what you believe about people of different uh, colors, religions, backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Where specifically did you grow up? So my roots are really East Texas. Both of my parents grew up in East Texas, Mount Pleasant to be specific, uh, and they grew up during a time of segregation. They both graduated from a segregated high school. And so my dad took the opportunity to go into the military because he wanted something different for himself. Uh, he was originally stationed in Greece. Uh, we were stationed in Turkey. Uh, Guam. Uh, he actually did a tour in um, Iran. Um, and so the Middle East is not kind for girls. Um, and even within the military, because it's reflective of society, there's still racism, even on base, uh, even between, and then there's classism between officers and enlisted. Okay. I So you the more you talk, the more I'm just fascinated. I want to keep diving into each of these things. <laughs> okay. um, I, I'd love to hear examples kind of, of, of each of these things, things you saw, things you heard from your parents' stories from them growing up. Uh, also, I'm also curious, was he in the Navy? He was actually in the Air Force. No, we don't in do Navy Force. here. We do Air Force. <laughs> okay. Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> my... Um, so my stepdad was in the Air Force. My father-in-law was in the Navy, and he was stationed in Guam for some time. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so I, I thought that might be the, the link there. There but. is a big Navy base there on Guam, or there was. Uh, we were there in the 70s, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So as a young – so I grew up knowing – that I've heard stories over this past 
couple of months about people who were military children who said they had no idea they were black. I knew I was black every day I woke up. Uh, it was reinforced in me uh, that, hey, you're going to have a little different walk because you're a young black girl and you have a kind of slick little mouth. So it was always reinforced with me <laughs> that you're going to need different coping skills. And so my parents created an environment where me and my sister could be whatever we wanted to be and they supported it, but we were very aware of what challenges that we would have. And so I think it started when I, uh, even when I was young, we were stationed in Turkey and the thing to do for military housewives, when you go, uh, um, abroad is you, you know, you enjoy some of the comforts that you don't have in the U S or you can't afford. And so my mom is not, um, a champion housekeeper. Uh, so she employed a maid and there usually, there were local Turkish women who provided the service. And I can remember, uh, having friends who were white and that was acceptable. Some of them, I couldn't go to their house. We would have to play out and about. I was told you can't go to their house. Some people I wasn't allowed to play with. Uh, but this particular person, I was actually allowed to play with them. And here, the lady and my mom seemed to be acquaintances or friends. Um, but the maid was a local Turkish woman that they shared. And she was doing a great job with us in our home. And then the white lady made a statement to her, you know, in America, they would be the maids. And her whole um, way that she interacted with our family changed. And so she had to be let go. Um, So that's one example. Um, I'm also a kid who, and we were encouraged to be adventurous and my mom would send us on field trips. We didn't, we've probably seen every castle in England. That's not oh, that's something awesome. we want to do. As a kid. <laughs> that is a long list. <laughs> but they would send us off on these field trips. <laughs> and so, um, that's funny. And the way people would react to you, uh, first of all, your kids coming on the bus and then your black kids, you know, what could you possibly want to know about history and, Marion, I think um, I think you muted somehow. How about now? There we I go. Think there I've got a go. screen. Yeah, my screensaver popped on. I'll have to watch that. Okay, sorry. Um, so back up. You were talking about getting on the bus, right? So when you are a military kid and you go what they call on economy, you go out in the in the countryside. Hmm. Uh, people react to you differently because they're judging you by standard of how they treat uh, minorities in that country, and so. What always fascinates me is it's always a negative connotation. It's not, oh, look, she's black, she's female, she's different. Uh, maybe we should accommodate. It's, oh, wait a minute, what are they doing here? Uh, hmm. Why would you be interested in this? Um, you know, it's it's always a negative connotation. And that's yeah. when you get down to what racism is. It really is when you're labeling people based on differences, uh, the color of their skin, that you've already decided and determined that they're unworthy. It really comes down to that. They're less than. What they contribute doesn't have the same quality as what someone who is white has. Can we go back to the statements you were making about being a kid and being told <laughs> these things or being made aware of them? Well, so I wasn't your normal seven-year-old. I was kind of rough. I honest <laughs> to say that. But you have to, you, my opinion, you have to create in children a strong identity of who they are. And so I think my parents did a very good job of that. They said, hey, this has been my experience, my community. I'm coming out of a segregated environment. You're going to live in an integrated environment. They were challenged with, they didn't know anything about an integrated environment. They went to school where their schools were all black. They were encouraged to be confident, strong black people. 
And so to have to raise a kid in an integrated environment, they did the best that they could. And so they gave us coping skills as to say, if they don't want you, don't force yourself on them. If you don't feel safe, walk away. If Hmm. instead of engaging, sometimes you don't have to always engage. Sometimes the smarter move is to say, hey, I'm in a crowd of people here and I'm the only one different. Probably not a good time to... uh, you know, disintegrate the conversation, probably time to de-escalate, not escalate. But as a kid, you still, you still know that as a kid, right? Cause you, you go to someone's house to play and maybe someone uses a racial slur or you, you know, you're not wanted right. there or yeah. you see you the deal? white kids like, did, go yeah. into the house and you have to stay outside I'm, I know I'm not wanted there. Is the sacrifice of having a friendship with that kid worth putting myself through that? And so at an early age, you had to say, no, it isn't. I can go to my own house, play with my own toys or my own friends. But you learn to judge people on individual actions. There's so much weight in having to process that kind of information as a child. And right. I think that's where I, I share Aaron's sentiment too. I'm I'm thinking about my daughter who's seven, and I I hope she doesn't have to process all of that. Certainly not in the same way. But it it makes me wonder if I need to be doing more to sort of um, I don't know, foster the right way of thinking about interacting with folks. Right? It not 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 seeing something like that as necessarily a disadvantage, but it, mm-hmm. it's just it's heavy. There's a, there's a lot of information there. <laughs> Not all of it uh, friendly, but yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. But, but you, st- but you, I think at the end of the day, you learn to judge people on how they treat you and right. you learn that people are different and you respect those differences and you learn not to judge those differences immediately as something negative in your environment and in your space. Right, right. And some of those things just should be self-evident, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously yeah. aren't to a lot of people. Marion, did you grow up with a lot of maybe anger, bitterness, frustration? I'm just trying to imagine how I would be if I'm a seven-year-old and I'm just picking that age out of the, out of the air, but and being told this and being, and seeing this and being subjected to this. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, I wouldn't I, say that I grew up with a lot of anger because you're a kid, right? These are the yeah. rules your parents set down for you. Yeah. You yeah. have no idea at seven. Um, that's just the way it is. You know, that's the way that you, your parents are establishing those values, giving you your identity, kind of guiding that identity. That's just the way it is. I didn't never stop to think about, oh, oh well, I, I can't go there. I just can't go there. There's plenty of other kids for me to play with. Um, Did it know. cause you to, to believe this madness? Do you know what I mean? Did it cause me to believe that I was less so, than? Is that your question? Yeah, yeah. Being So being treated unfairly, unjustly, like just completely wrong i i'm just trying to to dig into your mindset because i like i did not have to experience this and i i'm i don't know so again my parents were they their goal was to raise confident Mm -hmm. successful black women and men and so no i never felt less than even now when i walk into a situation and someone is just Oh my goodness, who who is that and why is she here? Um, I'm confident in what I contribute. I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in what I deliver. Uh, and I'm a little bit arrogant. And so if you can't take what I've got, I'm willing to <laughs> move to the next. Good for <laughs> so, you. Good no, for you don't feel that. I, I never felt less than. They went out of their way to establish, hey, you're going to be a little black girl uh, and you're going to speak your mind and you need to have, be able to defend these things with facts. Don't mm-hmm. make up stuff. You need to be factual because facts cut across all 
denominations of people. You need to be honest. You need to have integrity. So all of those values were there. And then you need to be confident. Don't go off saying that you're going to do this when you can't. Yeah. Interesting. Your parents sound like wonderful people, by the way. Yeah. They are. They're, they're, they are. And I give a shout out to them. Uh, they put a lot of work into us. They did. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to put your efforts, in my opinion. That's, I try to, I try to follow a similar mantra and do for my kids everything I can, teach them right. But now that's great. They sound great. And, and I'm sorry to dwell there for so long. That just uh, I'm fascinated by the mindset there. Um, uh-huh. You seem to have handled it with a lot of maturity and grace, um, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal uh, given the circumstances. I, I mean. So let's maybe fast forward a little bit. Do you, do you want to go into um, what that's like for you today? Or maybe what's different or what it's like with respect to technology? So I, I think technology, when technology uh, was the hot property, when it first came out, people said, oh, it's the great uh, equalizer. It's all mm. going to be about ones and O's, bits and bytes. It's not going to be about color and or about... Um, gender. Uh, and it's not going to be about where your place of origin was from. It's going to be the great equalizer. And so when I entered tech, uh, that was after my career in immigration, um, I really did believe that. And my first job in tech was for a company that the women could not wear pants. Oh my goodness. And so you're a network engineer in a skirt and you're being told what you have to wear. Yeah. Right. And you're running Cat 5 cable. And so. <laughs> in a skirt. Oh my goodness. <laughs> in a skirt. Oh my goodness. <laughs> in a skirt. What? And so it became very quickly, for those, you know, it became apparent. For those people that don't know what that means, you're basically <laughs> like crawling through holes, right? Yeah. And you're like laying on your back and you're fishing things up through space maybe crawling in an attic you know what i mean oh my gosh you definitely want to be wearing like sturdy pants (laughs) you do you do (laughs) but they had a policy that women could not wear pants on site um and it was built on a lot of the military discipline so you had leaders there who they felt like if I give a mission and an order, they didn't care if it was software development. They didn't care if it was network administration. You're going to do it. And so you would literally go on customer sites as women, and you would have on two or three different outfits just to be able to run cable. Wow. And so there was no accommodation that, hey, maybe it's okay if she wears slacks. Maybe that's okay. But eventually that did change. But that's when I entered tech was when there were very defined roles about what disciplines women could even get into. Um, We were pushed more to the soft side of tech. So Mm. the PMing, the marketing, not so much those hardcore disciplines of coding and engineering and architecture, um, we weren't and, and we weren't pushed in those directions. And so I think we've seen a change in education. We've seen a change in um that door has opened for women, but there we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cause I still I mean, I still see that today. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of it. What do you think has changed in a in a positive way? I mean, are there are there obviously other than network engineers that are women are allowed <laughs> to wear pants or probably whatever they want within reason? What what has changed positively? Like how how have those things been? Um, I guess adjusted over time in your experience. So I do think STEM has done a really good job in going out and really grabbing the minds of young girls. So really kind of pushing science. It's okay to be smart. It's okay to be good at science, good at math. Um, I also think companies kind of sponsoring these girls can code, um, ladies who Linux that helps to promote. And (laughs) I haven't heard that one. I hadn't either. That's great. I love it. I love, I love the wordplay, all of it. That's fantastic. 
Yeah, that helps promote that, hey, to the next generation, uh, because the change is really for the next generation. Uh, women in tech today, we fight the fight for today. We fight for uh, equality in uh, leadership roles. We fight for equality in pay. There's actually a gender pay gap within technology. Men in technology in comparable positions, comparable educations are earning 15K more than women. So wow. that's what we fight for for today. But for the future, we need to have a young workforce, women who are willing to come into these fields and we, it's our responsibility to make it better for them so that they don't have to, uh, you know, run cable and skirts or uh, be a engineer or a product marketing manager and you know your product backwards and forward. You can code it, you can engineer it, you can architecture it, and then you go to an event and they bring in booth babes to speak to the product. Mm. So that's yeah. our current fight. And I'm, I've been emboldened to see less and less of that specific example, things like booth babes. There does seem to be an industry trend to sort of demonize it, which I think is appropriate. And then I, I had a really bullish experience. Actually, this is quite a few years ago now, but I went to go speak to an elementary school group. And uh -huh. in the course of the conversation, we were talking about big data and stuff like that. And someone asked the question, it's like, of, of the children, and I want to say they were maybe third grade, fourth grade, something like that. But basically the question was floated, does anyone think they can't be an engineer? And there were a couple of kids that raised their hands, but they, it wasn't a single gender that did it. One, one little boy just said, oh no, I'm too good at this to ever do something like that, right? Um, mm -hmm. But in the course of the conversation, basically the sentiment came out that no one was even floating the idea that, that maybe they couldn't do something, which I was really happy to hear because even when I was back in elementary school, some of the stuff you've been talking about was coming up, especially related to genders. And it's like, girls aren't as good as math. Uh, you know, right. Girls aren't as good at handwriting, those sorts of things. And I remember that sentiment being pretty prevalent. And I was so happy to hear, like, the kids just gave us a funny look when it came up. And it's like, well, that's great. <laughs> that is, that's progress. And that's mm -hmm. what you want to see. And so as they enter tech, they should have, uh, equal opportunities. And I hear a lot of talk, especially uh, right now with um, the protest, uh, people saying, well, you want to be something different than what you are. No, I, I don't want to be white. I don't want to be a male. I don't want to be different than what I am, but I do want to have equal opportunities to yeah. be who I am and come to the table and be treated equal. We have people of color who are not putting pictures up on LinkedIn. They're not using their names um, just to be able to get an, an interview, an interview, not just a job, just the interview. Yeah, wow. And so we still have work to do there. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I don't want to take us backwards. Like you, you, you just keep <laughs> touching on so much that I I'm, I'm immensely curious about, but did you, so when you were talking about your first job and mm -hmm. your requirements and all that kind of stuff, what are, what are some other examples of challenges you've faced? Like, were you ever, so that you were speaking as a woman there, mm -hmm. as a black person, as a black woman, were you ever like not allowed to go somewhere or participate in something because of your skin color? So I wasn't not allowed to participate. I think for me, the challenge has been when I do get the job, um, there's almost shock that you're there and okay you have to take that opportunity to establish yourself to say, these are my credentials. This is what I can do. And then you have to go about proving it. We don't get the luxury as blacks or as women, or even my people who are, who English is a second language who are in, in corporate America. We don't get the uh, luxury of saying, uh, here I am. I, I'm going to ramp up. So maybe we do, but we don't feel that. We feel that we have to come in and immediately establish our credibility mm -hmm. and our credentials to be in that arena when we've already competed for the job and got the job. That shouldn't be yeah. that way. Right. Right. And and then you'll hear people say, I when I hired you, I wasn't sure you would be a good fit for the team. And then well, you ask them, 
Yeah. <laughs> and okay. so what were your concerns? Was it um, my attitude? Was it my, what, what were your concerns? No, I just didn't think you might not be a good fit or the guys couldn't be themselves around you or mm. you would be too sensitive. So what, what in my resume made you think that? You know, right. and I'm pretty affable person. I'm, uh, I'm not a morning person, but in the afternoons, I like to laugh and be cordial. So, what, what, what was it that you thought was not going to make me a good fit? And they're really talking around the fact. Well, I didn't know um, how you would fit in the team as a person of color, or how the guys would react. Or would they have to not tell jokes and do this and that because you were female? Yeah. So. And I'll, I'll tell you just a work experience from 2010. I had a customer that needed some um, technical support, some technical guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, once we came to, uh, you know, an understanding of, hey, you know, here's the type of specialist I need. They then asked me if the person was black mm-hmm. that I would be sending. And I lost my mind. Like I was like speechless on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you know, and I start, I, I've, I don't think I've ever talked to How a customer like this. Yeah. But I, I got in their face about it and, they, and then the, the guy got real defensive and he was like, well, you know, it's not me. It's not me. I'm just, I'm just saying there's people here that won't allow that to happen. Right. This was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not laughing cause it's not right. Fine. It's no, not funny. It's like, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. But see, that's a good, that's a really good example, Aaron, because I think the thing that really, what we really need to talk about is how do others advocate for people you know are being discriminated against? Right. And so that person wasn't in the room, you were. And so I'm, you know, it's good that you spoke up and said why, uh, and you kind of went off. Uh, but everyone doesn't do that and everyone doesn't feel comfortable doing that. And so how do we make systematic changes to make sure people are at a level of comfort where they feel that and that they have the power and enable to advocate for people of color, for women, um, people of, of different origins? Yeah. And that's where I was going when I asked you, you know, do you ever feel like you weren't invited to a place because of your color? And and I'm I'm not sure that you said that there was a specific example, but then my, my mind immediately jumped to, I wonder how many opportunities you missed out that you didn't even know about because of yeah. examples. Like exactly. The I shared. Right. You know there, I mean? there are, I'm sure I did. Uh, it's, it's just that I worked for people who didn't come back and tell me that. Mm. And so I always tell people in my present company, I've had on a scale of one to five, I've had to rate my experiences with racism uh, I've had ones where I've established lifelong friendships uh, with people of different races and cultures and fives where it's just been downright deplorable and inactionable. And so you have to still be able to cope with, these are the people that I have to interact with. These are the people I have to work with. These are my rights. And this is what I'm willing to sacrifice and what actions I'm willing to take. Yeah. So you're not angry about it because that's another stereotype as a black woman. I have to be very conscious about. I can't get mad in meetings and I'm the angry black woman. I can't oh, do wow. that. <laughs> no. Um, I have to, there's a certain decorum, a certain adjustment of my um, natural personality I have to bring. It's part of just being a professional. But. Yeah. I make those adjustments and make those personal sacrifices to be able to provide for my family. Your level of maturity is is astonishing because I just That's keep thinking about these all stories. all, <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I bristle at these these stories, right? And the, I don't know. I'm just glad it, that it's easy to get emotional. And, and I think what he say, we're just impressed with how put together you are about all of it too. And I don't know, I, I think even an, a modicum of the experiences you've had would probably just enrage me personally. Right. And I would have to have gone through the sort of same just measure personality. Don't be as outward. Um, 
no, it's just, it's impressive. No, so I, I think I think if for young kids, I think that's another thing. You have to really instill in them, this is who you are. This is your personality. This is who you are. If you're a young black kid wanting to go into STEM, who you are is who you are. What you mm. do is different. It's part of your total package, but who you are is who you are. So you bring your passions, your beliefs, your values to what you do. You aren't what you do. Yeah. You just you just aren't. And so there's a lot of young kids who are really establishing their identity, getting out as you see them as part of the protests. Um, I actually have a young cousin, and to see her in high school – out protesting, making a stand, um, protesting against a Confederate mascot. Um, that says a lot about who she knows who she is hmm. still in high school. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Which again, like as you think about it through these life phases, being a kid is hard enough. Yeah. Being a kid that's being told you can't go in someone's house because of your skin color. That's insane. <laughs> You know, being a network engineer is hard enough. It's hard mm -hmm. work. But being a female network engineer, being a black network engineer. But it's, it's worth the journey. It's worth the journey. The people I've met, the experiences I've had, even now being allowed to, I love the company I'm at because I can, I can code, I can develop, I can do marketing. I can secure things. I can implement, I can PM, I can, I can do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and they allow me to do that. The challenge is in making sure that from each experience that I also learn a lesson. And if there's something in me that needs to be adjusted, I'm responsible for adjusting that. What I can't adjust is systematic racism and sexism. I can make yeah. a connection with you one-on-one -on -one and change, you change your perception. But what I can't do anything about is systematic racism. I can't do anything about systematic sexism. I can't because the system is set up uh, with obstacles. There are higher sentencing rates for young black men. Uh, the punishments don't fit the crime. There's, there's, even when we make a personal connection, the system needs to be changed. Yeah. We have elected officials, we have corporations, companies who benefit from the current system. So it's not going to be easy, but I do think that it's doable. And I think that the next generation really uh, promoting those young leaders, bring about um, and, and supporting them is really where, where people of my generation need to focus that energy and effort. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you think it's ultimately going to be the culmination of all those personal experiences coming from, you know, every direction that, that is going to unwind the systematic racism and sexism? Or are there things that should be done that aren't being done um, at, a, at a higher level? So I do think it has to be top down. And I think it has to have um, we in the black community know our challenges. We know them but we don't feel that it's worth dying for. We don't, we're not going to die every time we go into a store and are suspected mm. of being stealing. That's not, that's not what we're, we're creating. We're not created to be disposable. And so yeah, it has to be not only just the black community, but we have to have support from other communities to say, Hey, this isn't right. Decency yeah. has no political party. It has no race. Yeah. And so I do believe there are people who are outside of the black community who can help enable that, but it has to come top down because it's a systematic thing. How, how would you compare what we're going through right now that ignited from the murder of George Floyd compared to what you, maybe your parents lived through and what you lived through growing up? I don't know. How, how does that process in your mind and where we're at? So I, I, I do acknowledge the progress. We could go through a thousand different achievements by people of color and women to say that shows progress. I do think we still have a long way to go. We still make differences. We can, the data supports that. Differences in 
how blacks are treated by police, by corporations, by different groups. We know that women uh, have the gender pay gap, um, and that's no longer valid for some of the reasons I hear that the gender pay gap even started. Women are single mothers. They have families to support. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the arguments are no longer valid. And I think that's where we need to start. What is the reality? What is the data? And we need to, that will identify what we need to change first. Now, I have my opinions what we should change first, but I don't have a magic wand. And that's based on my experiences. And so there has to be a change. And I know people say, oh, but that's my tradition. Uh, but your tradition may be based on an actual atrocity to someone else. Yeah, that, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard, by the yeah. way. It's, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and cuss on this show, but <laughs> that's the lamest thing I ever heard. That's my It's tradition. very upsetting to yeah. me, too, because you're saying that um, the life of a statue has more value than a black man or a black woman. Yeah, well, and it's also so tone deaf to other people's experiences, right? Uh, it you're, is. You're either aware of what that means to a person or a group of people and you don't care, or you're intentionally ignorant of what it means and then you're celebrating it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen the tweets that are like, uh, the Gilmore Girls lasted longer than the Confederacy? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you want to talk about yeah. tradition? Come on, <laughs> I don't actually know what the Gilmore Girls is, but <laughs> but think about if you're a young child and you're in a school, and or you're a person of Native American origin, and you're in a school, and that mascot uh, is a derogatory term for you. Yeah. And you're supposed to unify as a team around that mascot. How can a symbol of of discrimination be a unifying point? So if we're really either going to build communities together or we're not, but that's not that's probably on that list of things not to do. That's probably number one. And so that even happens in the tech community. You'll have a group of developers. I've been on projects. and like, Okay, we can't call this what it is, so let's give this a name. And then some of the names that are tossed out are just ridiculous. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. What are, what are you talking about? You know, there's females on this team. There's, I even had one The guy had to say, hey, I'm of Jewish origin. We can't use that. I'm not oh, going to wow. work on that. But you don't think about it. That's why they're called uh, microaggressions. Those are things that, you know, you just think, oh, that's associated with that. It's out of my experience. Well, you have uh, on this call so far successfully destroyed any self-pity I had for myself as a kid. Uh, (laughs) Any any negative experience I had of like getting beat on the roller rink, you know, because I didn't skate fast enough and woe is me as a child. That's funny. But there are some wonderful blessings just because of the family I'm in, right? My mom's yeah. one of 10. Um, and so just the different experience, personalities, there are blessings uh, to my experience too. But we're not on here to talk about those, right? <laughs> I have great supportive family. Um, so there are blessings too, to my experience, but that's not what I'm on here to talk about. Yeah. Okay, we can we can shift gears to uh, the neurodiversity part if you want. I just I, I don't know. I just have to be honest. I'm just shook by putting myself, imagining being a middle schooler and going over. Like Tyler and I were friends, right? I cannot imagine going over to Tyler's house and his mom and dad standing on the front porch looking at me like you cannot come in this house. Yeah, but that's their value, and you learn early on. I'm not safe here, so I don't need to be here. I'm not Even saying. what you're saying there, like that's their value. How, like, how did? But it's a it's a social concept, right? I know that's a social concept. Yeah. But they believe yeah. that either it's ingrained in them from their parents at birth. My parents could have taken a very different course with us, but they wanted us to experience life at its fullest. Yeah. And so they're like, "These are going to be your challenges. If you want to do it, we'll support it." 
uh, and we'll make an environment where you can be as creative, as crazy, as whatever you want to be, we're going to support as long as you do these things. Uh, and so we understood that, hey, you could be whatever you want to be, but there's a sacrifice, there's an accountability, and there's a personal responsibility, period. But they could have taken a very different course with us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm give a shout out to my parents too. I feel like the values they instilled are uh, strong, more morally compass pointed in the right direction sort of stuff. So Marion, let's, uh, let's dive into neurodiversity and mm-hmm. what you want to cover there. I'm curious just to kind of kick it off what your thoughts are about it. And Tyler and I talked about this after we talked to you last uh, week, uh-huh. um, not, not on the show at all, but just uh, with each other because Tyler's mom, he was just talking about who is a fantastic woman, but she worked in this area. And I personally have a child that has a language disorder, expressive receptive language disorder. It's kind of like uh, dyslexia, but verbally, right? What, what she hears and what she says. But, uh, but this was something that you said you had stated was, was near to your heart. So it's near to my heart because my brother actually was autistic. The year I graduated from high school, my parents had my brother. Uh, We were 18 years apart. Uh, He was a perfectly normal functioning kid. And then he had autism became his challenge. And so that's when I really started at 18 to start to say, um, what is that? What, What makes that different? How many people had it? And when he was born, that's been some time ago, he would have been in his 30s now. It became very apparent. People didn't know a lot about it. Um, And all the predictions for him were really dismal. And Mm -hmm. so it really started to challenge me about, well, what is this? And so now it's become uh, a kind of a collection of things. They say neurodiversity is when people have difficulties with memory, concentration, even time, direction, perception and even sequencing of of information and events. And so when you think about as a kid, we have really traditional ways of how we teach and how we expect kids to learn. For kids who are on, who are neurodiverse, there needs to be some adaption for them. Uh, If I have problems with sequencing of events, it's kind of hard for me to then take a history test where you want me to go one through 10. So is the, is the critical information there for the kid to know what each event is or the sequence of? And so that's what started my interest in this. And as he went through his uh, journey uh, and they would send him to the child study center and they would uh, try to trace as to family patterns. Where does this happen? Where does this come from? Looking at environmental things. As part of that journey, I began to recognize that, hey, some of that stuff, I don't have it to that same degree, but I am obsessive about time. I am obsessive about different things. And so I think it's made me more sensitive and aware of other people uh, because we, when we enter the job arena, they don't ask us to self-identify if we have neurodiverse issues hmm. or challenges. I prefer challenges. Um, nor uh, if you don't self-identify, do they make any measures to accommodate you? I do believe that people who are neurodiverse are intelligent. It's just that they process the information differently. Um, they have strengths on different teams. There are certain occupations that they do better at uh, than others. And so I think the challenge going forward is making sure that those children have an equal opportunity to be educated and to enter the workforce and have the same opportunities to live their best life. You know, right now we, in the old days, they would train them to, um, stock cans, be inventory people. Hmm. Uh, I think tech has shown, uh, there's some programs at Microsoft with autism, have shown that there are disciplines within the tech world that can benefit from the way they process information differently. Yeah. 
Michael now, Dell has a focus on it. What did you guys talk about? <laughs> well, doesn't 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 Michael have? I thought maybe it was part of like the 2030 moonshot goals or we do. Know, so there is here. a, uh, I think this year or last year was the first year we had uh, autistic interns. Mm-hmm. We have a VP in finance who really champions that because he has a son with adult autism. And so I think Dell will take a really strong position with it. Uh, and that's, that's, that's unbelievable in the, even in the last 10 years, that those kids have the opportunity to come in and contribute. They've always been among us. I mean, you know, you work with different developers and they can cite back their code all the way to notations line by line. That's amazing. So, yeah, that's processing information differently. Yeah. Yeah. So you you had asked, you know, what we were talking about, right? And and Uh we we talked about Aaron's daughter a little bit too, but my my mother was always in special education in the, the school districts that we were in. And as a result, I had the pleasure of actually volunteering um, in summers and other points throughout the year with some of the the programs that they had where they needed volunteers to come in. And, uh, you know, to your point, just the way people process information differently and where neurodiversity fits in that spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. I got to see all of it. And it was so much fun for me to meet some of these children that that did. It would be very difficult for them maybe to hold a conversation but the the way that they dealt with numbers was just magical, right? And uh, I, I I had not I had not seen anything like what we were just talking about with Michael Dell's initiatives um, until probably late last year, where VMware actually had a program for um, uh, acquiring new talent, right? And it was there there was a bonus, you know, sort of a referral bonus that was doubled or tripled, I forget, for helping to identify neurodiverse candidates uh, in in the industry. And I like screen capped it, screen capped it and <laughs> sent it straight to my mom. And I was like, you will not believe this because, uh, you know, <laughs> coming from aerospace, which I, I hope now they're also doing these things, but I, I just don't feel like they were as far ahead or maybe they just weren't as um, outward about any of those initiatives slash it was 10 years ago. And I may just not have been paying attention, but I, like I was legitimately excited to see that. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Mom, this is what you spent your entire life trying to build up within this community." Was that you know these these children grow into adults and they absolutely have value back to society, which sounds really ugly even to just put it on the table. But that's exactly the fight that they were fighting for. In, it is in, in her age is right, and so it's uh, again fascinating to me that you, your experience includes being. A black woman who identifies as neurodiverse as well, like what a hand to be dealt, but obviously the strength to deal with it too. Uh, not to, I know we're <laughs> throwing a lot of compliments out, but I think they're well, well deserved. So, but it creates challenges. It does, like I'm sure. especially in my personal relationship. You better not tell me a lie because I remember the last one you told. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, um. But those children aren't disposable. They're, no, they grow up to be adults. Uh, they have families. They want to provide. They they also have a right to a fully functioning life, to enjoy life mm-hmm. as much as possible. They're not disposable. And in the special education community, uh, now that there are policing in schools, uh, some of the behaviors associated with special education, they're treated like criminals. And so mm. that's another reason as we have to be more inclusive about and better about how we treat people. Yeah. For my daughter, she is phenomenal at puzzles. Uh-huh. She loves to play card games because it doesn't involve talking. And she is wildly successful at them. But I struggle with, uh, or, you know, Sorry, my brain is going like 17 places on this, but from an education perspective, a job perspective, you know, how, how, how is she perceived by people that just meet her for five minutes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is she judged as within that time period? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it breaks my heart, but she, she is, she's finally, she's six now, right? She is starting to understand her um, condition and 
she can now get to the point where she will say, look, my, you know, when we're struggling, she'll say, my brain isn't forming the words. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of <laughs> breaks me because I know she mm-hmm. knows what she wants to say, but she can't say it. But she has an awareness. She knows her challenge, right? She knows her challenge. She has an yeah. awareness. You're working with her. So that that frustration, you know, you asked me at the beginning of the call, am I angry? No, I'm not angry. I know my challenges. Yeah. And so you have an awareness. And so you start to say, I need to build these skills to yeah. be able to compensate for this. I can't yeah. do that for race. I can't do that for gender, but I can do that for uh, neurodiversity. I yeah. know I'm not, if I know I'm antisocial, and that's usually how that behavior shows up. If I know I'm antisocial, then I need to challenge myself to interact with others. I can take speech classes. I can role play. I can do improv to get more comfortable uh, about how I'm going to interact. There, I think there's a whole new discipline of skills uh, and different activities now that wasn't available when my brother uh, was diagnosed that is available for these kids now. Yeah. And, and we noticed this in her when she was like two. And all I can remember thinking is, you know, I just wanted her to have a fair shot at life, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't help but translate that as well to, I've got four daughters and I love technology and I want them to have a fair shot in the technology field uh, should they choose to go mm-hmm. that route. So I try to, I promote it as much as I can in the house, not like push it too much, but be there and be open and expose them to it as much as I possibly can. And then same, you know, same goes from, uh, you know, a skin color perspective, right? You just, you just want everybody to have the same opportunity in life. Um, Marion, before Tyler shuts it down, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your stories and your experiences and your viewpoints. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. Thank you for having yeah, me. I, I know our, our viewer, our viewers, our listeners will get a lot <laughs> out of it um, and greatly enjoy the conversation. So we'd love to have you come back and talk about tech news as well. Um, I would. But- we didn't get around to the digital divide and uh, the impacts of COVID. I would love to do that. Yep. Those are Big old fun conversations too, but I I, just to echo Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Um, We certainly appreciate your perspective and and your I enjoyed it. it, I enjoyed it. Thanks. All right, everyone. That brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. As always, if you've got anything that we missed or you want to add to the conversation or come join us, please reach out. Let us know. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And we will talk to you tomorrow.